first reading is from Daniel uh, 7, verses 9 to 18, and that's page 900 in the Church Bibles. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair on his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery, fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him, and thousand thousands served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. I looked then, because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking. And as I looked, the beast was killed, and its body destroyed, and given over to be burned with fire. As the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I saw in the great night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. As for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious and the visions of the head alarmed me. I approached one of those who stood there and asked him the truth concerning all this. So he told me and made known to me that the interpretation of the things. These four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth, but the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever and ever. So our second reading is on page 1007, Matthew chapter 28, page 1007 of the Church Bibles, reading from verse 16. So that's page 1007, Matthew 28, reading from verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Thanks, John. As mentioned, my name is Benji. I'm on staff here. Why don't I lead us in a prayer as we start? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Father, we thank you that the great climax of scripture, the great climax of human history, 
has begun and ended in the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you that one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is King. Please show us more of what that might mean for our lives in your kingdom, under your King this morning. Amen. <clears throat> We're a community and a culture, I think, obsessed with freedom. Now, uh, sometimes we probably miss that because of our wonderful American brothers and sisters in the room. Apologies in advance. You know, when they're like, We're the land of the free home of the brave, holding that note on the, word, on the word free in their anthem just a little bit too long for comfort. Um, but we are equally as obsessed with freedom. And there's many places we could go to kind of get to grips with, with that, to, tr- to get our kind of mind around it. But I think in particular, the words that we use around choice is very, very interesting. My body, my choice the freedom to choose to love who we want to love, freedom to express ourselves um, however we choose, freedom to vote for who we choose, and then I suppose, of course, therefore, uh, we're so free to not vote for them again, freedom to worship or not worship who we choose or don't choose, freedom of expression, freedom of speech, freedom of choice of what car to buy, what supermarket to shop in, freedom to choose where we spend our money, on and on and on and on and on it goes. Freedom. We're free. Well, is the Christian free? Is the Christian free or is the Christian under authority? Is the Christian a slave or is the Christian free? Is the Christian a subject or the Christian a king or queen? Well, Matthew, in the close of his great gospel account of King Jesus, wants us to know that all of us, regardless of whether or not we're Christians or not, actually, are not free. We are subjects, subjects of King Jesus the Lord of heaven and earth. Now, Matthew has carefully crafted what can basically be described as a kingdom manifesto. And here, to his first readers, he gives the climax of King Jesus' call on his subjects. In chapter 1, it was promised to us that the king is coming, Emmanuel, God with us. And now Matthew closes his account with those very words from the lips of Jesus himself. Have a look with me at the very final words of this gospel. And behold, Jesus said, I am with you always to the end of the age. God is with us, Emmanuel, until the end of the age. This leads us to our first point, therefore, the king's kingdom, all authority everywhere, all authority, the king's kingdom. The close of the gospel begins, verse 16, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. This is the mountain he directed them to after he said he would be raised from the dead. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Now, it's an appropriate response, isn't it, worship? But then Jesus gives them a commission with three alls, three alls for us this morning. And that's where we're going to be kind of basing our time around, three alls. Have a look with me from verse 18 to 20. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We're going to take each one of those in turn. The first, verse 18, all authority in heaven and on earth. All authority in heaven and and on earth. That is a breathtaking claim, isn't it? Uh, all authority in heaven and on earth, Jesus says, has been given to me. It's mine. 
any authority you see borrowed. All authority in heaven and on earth is mine, says King Jesus. Now, we're only looking at the close of Matthew's account of this king, but if we were to read the whole of it, we would have seen the authority of this Jesus, King Jesus, stamped on every single page. We would have seen when Jesus was born the heavenly host boom out in praise at the arrival of this king. We would have seen the heavens themselves at Jesus' baptism torn in two, the spirit descending upon the king as Isaiah prophesied, and the father saying, this is my son, the son of the king. We would have seen his authority over creation as he stood on the boat and with a word silenced the seas. We would have seen his authority over sickness as with a word he commands a paralyzed man to get up. And at the words of Jesus, sinew and bone and synapse obeys, knits itself back together, and the man stands. We would have seen Jesus' utter authority over Satan as he rebuffs him in the wilderness where every single other man had failed, as he calls demons out of men and women and places the forces of evil in bondage. But most supremely, most gloriously, as we think off the back of Easter, we would have seen the authority of King Jesus as we beheld the empty tomb. I want us to imagine if we had been there 2,000 years ago, in the warm morning of that first Easter day, the breeze on our face, the dust between our toes, we would have seen a hole carved in the rock and an enormous stone lying to the sides um, with grave linen folded neatly on a shelf inside. If we had been there, we would have heard that cry The tomb is empty. Jesus is not here. He is risen. The blight, the crushing, inescapable evil of death, that power that every single one of us is under, man, woman, and child in this room, um, and, and will be under forever, has been shattered once and for all at the death of Jesus. The tomb which holds everyone that enters into it in the darkness of death has been broken open. The great stone that sealed it shut has been rolled to the side and light has flooded into the darkness. Christ the King has slain death, never to die again. And so, of course, with the enemy of death slain at the feet of Jesus, Jesus declares all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus is King, King everywhere, at all times. And notice where Jesus says this authority resides in heaven and on earth. First in heaven, the great forces of Satan to lie, deceive, and kill have been forever crushed in the death of King Jesus. And gloriously, this authority extends to earth. Which means, therefore, as an implication, I wonder if we kind of spotted this um, as the reading was given, that we are never, ever outside the kingdom of King Jesus. What a comfort that is. What a comfort that is. Imagine, so as we step into our offices, Christ is Lord here. Into our homes, Christ is Lord. Uh, When we speak to our colleagues, Christ is their Lord. Our children, Christ is their Lord. In other words, there is not a single corner of this world, not a single atom in this universe which does not have stamped across every part of it, Jesus Christ is Lord and King. If you were to take a telescope 
and look into the furthest reaches of the Milky Way or even beyond our own galaxy and millions of light years away, you would see a place where Jesus Christ is Lord and King. And then if that same day you took a microscope and you looked down to the smallest of cells that you could possibly see, well, you would see an intricate, amazing thing put together, but you would also see a place where Jesus Christ is Lord and King. Everywhere, everybody, all the time, Christ is King. Now, this is an enormous comfort because it means that, I wonder if we kind of clock this, that there is no such thing as a secular space. We we like to use that kind of language, secular spaces. We might imagine that church is kind of religious space, and then once we step out, we're kind of out into the secular space. But they don't exist. There's no such thing as a secular space. Our offices, they're under the authority of King Jesus. Our atheist friends, family, and colleagues... They're subjects of King Jesus. We can never go anywhere, no matter how hard we try, where Jesus Christ is not Lord and King. We'll come back to that in the implications when we close. So that's the first, the king's kingdom, all authority. The second, the king's command, all people, um, all nations must obey. So we've, we've begun to see, haven't we, the scope in terms of, I suppose, geography um, of, where Jesus, of the kingdom of this king. But now Jesus turns to the command. Have a look with me at verse 19. And we're going to take the next two alls together. So verse 19. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. All disciples, teach them all things. The command is simple to understand, isn't it? Simple to understand, yet obviously mammoth in scope. One commentator described these as the most influential words in human history. Um, That These words led to essentially what is Christianity today, Um, and I think he's probably right. It is an easy command to understand, but a mammoth command in scope. But do we see how clearly this command must be the command that follows, given what we've just seen about the scope of Jesus' kingdom? In other words, if Jesus really is king in every place, over every person, then every single person must be told, must be told of the lordship of their king, the Lord Jesus. Go and make disciples of all nations, because in every single nation under the sun, Every single person who has ever lived, does ever live, and will ever live is under the authority of King Jesus. But it's more than just to tell, isn't it? Because it's to go and make disciples. Now, disciples just means followers. So it's not just a case of we telling people. It's a case of we need to make people followers of the Lord Jesus. In other words, people who know what he says and obey what he says. And it's striking again, but, but unsurprising, isn't it? That the command is not just to go and tell, but the command is to go and make disciples. Because if Jesus is king of all places and king of all people, then Jesus demands the obedience of all people. All places, all people, command them to obey all that Jesus has taught. 
And baptism is a wonderful illustration of that. Why baptism at this point in time? Well, baptism is a symbol, a public declaration of moving from I am under one kingdom to under the kingdom of Jesus Christ. I have died and I've been raised in Jesus and he is now my king. That's why baptism is there. Now, an an implication for us here is that this command is both enormously freeing and yet demanding. Freeing and yet demanding. I see some faces looking at me like, how on earth is this freeing? Um, But it's, um, it's freeing because it does not matter who you are or where you are, from the boardroom to the bedroom, office to the orphanage, Britain to Bangkok... You're in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Now, some of us here won't be in Dulwich forever. I'm very upset about that. I won't speak to you after you leave. But I would imagine that in about 10 years' time, not everyone who's here this morning will be here. And that's okay. Isn't that, isn't that liberating? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you go off uh, to the far reaches um, of the Middle East or just to, a, just, I don't know, Seven Oaks, whatever the case may be. There is absolutely nothing sinful um, about leaving Because wherever you go, Jesus Christ is Lord. And whoever you speak to, Jesus Christ is their Lord. Um, So anyone you are, um, from the school gate um, to the offices, from your children to your friends, doesn't matter. Jesus says, they're mine. Make disciples. But it's demanding, isn't it? It's freeing anywhere all the time. But it's demanding. Because do we see that this command, it is not optional. This command is not optional. Jesus is king. All people are in his kingdom. And therefore all people must come under the sound of the gospel and obey. Where and who does not matter. From little tots to old totterers, all must hear. But they must hear. We cannot separate the office, um, a time in our lives, some family members or friends or whoever it might be from this command. Where you are right now is where the Lord Jesus Christ wants you to make disciples. He is king. Your office, your home, your friendships, your family, he is king there too. And he wants them as disciples. Jesus Christ is Lord. Which means, again, this is comforting, isn't it? Because wherever you are, there is no hierarchy. It is not as though ministry to our children is somehow lesser than ministry to our friends and and colleagues. Um, It doesn't matter. But wherever you are, and whoever you before, Jesus Christ is King. Make disciples. Richard Wombrandt was a priest in um, uh, Romania occupied during... um, Sorry communist occupied Romania there you go and he was put in prison um, for a number of years and tortured and for two of those years he was put in solitary confinement in a cell that was six feet by three feet um, for two years and he never saw another soul um, because the guard would slide the food under the door for two years Um, but then one day after about a year he heard some tapping on the wall next to him He he realized that there was a prisoner next to him trying to communicate didn't know what the prisoner was saying didn't know morse code or anything like that But painstakingly, month after month, the guy on the other side of the wall taught him Morse code. Don't ask me how, something like one tap is an A, two taps is B. You can imagine how painstaking this will become. And eventually this priest, well, Richard, he learned Morse code. 
And what was the first thing then that he decided to do after learning Morse code is he tapped the gospel back through the wall. Why? Because even in the Ministry of Interior in Romania, even in a cell underground with no natural light, Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ demands that he uh, shares the gospel. The man on the other side of the wall through Morse code repented and then was led out of the, uh, of the cell and Richard never heard from him again. Um, but Jesus Christ is Lord, even in the cell, even at the school gate. Final, um, final thought for us, uh, the king's comfort. I am with you always. Of course, as we hear these commands, there's so many objections that come up, isn't there? Surely not me, I'm not an evangelist. Or surely not now, this isn't the right time. Surely not my workplace. I haven't got the gifts. I'm not godly enough. I haven't got the answers. Fair. But here do we see that the final clause is one of great comfort for us as we behold what Jesus promises those who are called to obey his command will have. Have a look with me at verse 20. And behold, I, that is Jesus, am with you always to the end of the age. Of course, again, logically this follows, doesn't it? If Jesus Christ is king of all places and all people at all times, then of course he is with us, his people, at all times and in all places. The promise of Matthew 1 has been fulfilled, um, that Emmanuel was coming, but now it comes from the lips of Jesus himself. I am God, I am king, I am with you always. Now, it's worth pausing here to think, yeah, but how is that actually playing itself out, Jesus being with us, and does it actually play itself out? Well, I want us to put ourselves back into the shoes of these initial disciples. This is 11 men, and imagine their task. 11 men with the task of Jesus saying, okay, listen, I'm going, sort of, I'm only with you, but it is now your job to convert the whole world. And not only are you to convert the whole world, but you need to convert them with a message of a Jewish crucified slave on a piece of wood who is king of the entire world. There's your message, nice and easy, off you go. If we were there, what success rate do we think we would have given that out of 100? Might be something to discuss in your discussion groups afterwards. But do we see that us sitting in this room 2,000 years later speaking in a language that didn't exist when this command was given, speaking the words of one of those 11 men, Matthew, who was here, is testament to the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ is king and his message really is going to the ends of the earth. From 11 men to 2,000 years later, here in Dulwich, who would have thought that we would have heard Matthew's words in this language today, now? But beyond us, uh, Joshua Project, which is a website I thoroughly encourage you to go and check out if you've not heard of it, maps how the gospel is reaching every single people group on the face of the earth. And 58% of the planet, that's over 4 billion people, have heard or can hear the gospel message, over 4 billion people. In other words, these 11 men who are given a command to take the message of King Jesus to the ends of the earth, their followers number in the billions, the billions. So is Jesus with them, and does his message work, and is his lordship true? Well, let's just look at what the disciples have been able to achieve. Um, Of course, though, 42% of the globe, therefore, currently has no chance. Currently. 
of hearing the gospel. And perhaps this would be wonderful for us to talk about in our groups. Perhaps for some of us here, us obeying this command might mean going there. It might. My prayer is that it would. I think it would be a fantastic thing if we were sending people out to where the gospel is not currently being preached. Regardless, though, as we close, I want us to return to a couple of implications and then we will go into discussion groups. The first implication is to return to that point that we already mentioned, which is that there are no sacred spaces. Often, uh, the dialogue will be something like the fact that the workplace in particular is kind of separate to church life and our religious life. And it's very easy for that to be the case because there's pressures and it's full of non-Christians and it's a difficult place to be a Christian. But can we see that the command of Jesus, yeah, it's freeing anywhere all the time, but it is demanding. Your office is just as much a part of the Lordship of Jesus as everywhere else, including this room, including every beautiful cathedral that you can think of. Jesus Christ is Lord, and our colleagues and our officers need to hear it. In fact, that's why we're there, to make disciples. The second implication is that this is not our work. Jesus Christ is with us. It's his message. It's his kingdom. It's his power. Um, And so whoever you are, wherever you are, Jesus is not going to tell you to do something that he will not empower you to do and be with you to do. I am with you always, he says, to the end of the earth. And third, do we see, and this is the kind of cheesy way of putting it, it's go and then low, as in low I am behold with this KJV translation, but go and then low. In other words, we don't wait to feel like Jesus is Lord, and we don't wait to kind of get that opportunity at work. We go and behold Jesus is with us. We hear and respond and go. That's the order that we see here. Go and make disciples of all nations. I have all authority. Go and make. I'm with you. That's the order and the pattern. Why don't we close in prayer and then um, I'll hand over to John to explain to us what we'll do in our discussion groups. Dear Lord, we thank you that in all places, everywhere, at all times, Jesus Christ is Lord and King. Please, Lord, would you show us what that means for us as we live in your kingdom under your lordship. Um, And Father, we thank you so much for this incredible comfort that when we go out into your world, you are with us always to the end of the age. Amen.